there was this moment in my life that changed everything about my life moving forward. I was late 20s. I had kind of fallen into a new group of friends for the summer. They had come home from college and I had been visiting a new church and I was attending the college-age Sunday school class and these handful of guys kind of stumbled in one Sunday morning and I started hanging out with these guys over the summer. And at the end of the summer, as they were preparing to go back to college, they all attended the same college together. One of the guys challenged me to come with them. Now, at the time, I was, I was actually working the best job I've ever had that seemed to have the most promise for me. It was actually the first time I'd gotten into a, a skilled career where I was being trained as a journeyman at a print shop. And like everything in my life was kind of good. It was really good, actually. I was making good money. I was living at home, which meant I'd, my expenses were low and I was saving. And I could kind of like, <laughs> I had this great surplus of money and time. I was single. It was a good time in my life, and yet when this one friend challenged me to go to school, I just had this Kairos moment, this God moment where I knew in my heart this wasn't just a friend asking me to do something, it was God. And it both excited and scared me. And I'll talk more about why that changed my life in a minute. Morning, guys. This is the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. I am a spiritual director, a teacher of contemplation, and a carpenter. And before I get any further, I just want to remind all of you, you can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. And I have a new YouTube uh, channel, which is which can be found at Jay Randall Ori. Just Google Jay Randall Ori. And I'm also releasing two books I hope in the middle of June they're done. I'm just going through the editing process. So anyway, that's just what's happening with me. But on to my story. Well, let me before I forget, I am on the trails walking. Hope you hear the birds. That's nice. It's just a nice, pleasant, cool uh, May morning. And also, um, this podcast is Everything and Love. Everything in Love, that's the title. That's what I want to talk about. Um, so that story, right? How I was telling you, the, the thing that changed my life forever. It, it set me on a new course in life that really has resulted in everything I'm doing now and where I am now, which is kind of crazy, right? Have you ever had a moment like that or a moment of decision? I don't think often in the middle of the moments of life we realize the choices we're making and we're the lead, right? I mean, we, we watch movies and movies, there's always these moments in the hero's journey, right? Or the whatever the story and the character where there's this moment of decision where they can go left or right. And it cha- it's going to change their life forever. And often in the movies, it's presented in this dramatic way and there's music and there's like... Maybe it goes in slow-mo, and like you just know this is the moment that's going to change everything. And, and you're rooting for the, the character or the hero to make the right decision. You know, like Luke Skywalker, when he's challenged to go with Obi-Wan and leave the farm. and his pl- You know, it's like always these moments. But in life, in our lives, sometimes there's not the music, there's not the drama, 
There's just the day-to-day choices, and sometimes we don't realize where the choices will lead or that this is the choice that will change our lives, right? We're just making choices. We're living our life. We're trying to do the best we can, and that's fine, but I don't know if you've ever had one of those big moments where there was something that stirred in you in a moment and it both scared and excited you. But I had that moment in my late 20s when my life was good. It was comfortable. You know, I was, it was even dating a girl, like the most serious relationship I've ever had, the best job I've ever had, the most money I've ever made. I was just in a good place. And then God came in and said, hey, Let's let's go a different direction and I and man it really scared me and excited me right so this friend I remember the the moment I remember where I was we had got met for breakfast at the Sunshine Cafe which was a branch of the the Waffle House I think anyway Sunshine Cafe we're drinking coffee we're playing cards as we did that summer And my friend, like, two of my friends had gone to the bathroom. I wanted gone to pay his check. And one of my friends was sitting there with me. He looked straight at me and just said, you should come back to school with us. And instantly in my heart, I just felt like my heart started racing. And I just felt God saying, yes, this is me. This is what you're supposed to do. And so, like, in a few days, they went back to school because I couldn't register in the, the time I had left before that semester. but So I had a full six months to think about and to plan and to discuss going to school. Coming, that would have, uh, yeah, they, they were entering into the spring semester and I was considering going back to school in the fall. Man, I can tell you, I've never felt so much spiritual attack, so much struggle, so much fear about a decision. It just, like, even my parents were like, even my parents thought I was crazy. Like, why would I leave everything? Everything's going right for me. Like, I had been working at a print shop for a year and a half. I was a, I was a journeyman apprentice, which means I was being trained to work in the bindery of this print shop. Uh, I was learning how to do all this stuff, cool stuff, work on the machines, run the machines. I was learning a skill and a trade that that really was very profitable and would continue to be viable, right? And they were going to make me the night shift manager. That's why they brought me in. Like I I had all this opportunity in front of me to make money and to have a good career. And I was dating a girl and everything seemed to be going well. And then God comes in and just like blows it all up and says, hey, Let's go left instead of right, you know, or let's go instead of just continuing straight on the path you're on. I've got this completely new option for you, right? So I spent the next six months planning, talking, thinking, praying, wrestling, being attacked. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been attacked spiritually or what that means for you, but I mean like I was having dreams where actual demons were coming to me in my dreams. Like one in particular, I just remember literally in my dream, this demon has me up in the air. He's got me by both arms. He has me up in the air and he's like shaking me and I can feel the intensity. 
and I'm like wrestling against this demon. And like, then the Holy Spirit just came in and said, cry out to Jesus. And I just like stopped wrestling with the demon. And I looked up and I said, Jesus, help me. And instantly the demon left. <laughs> I mean, that, that, I just remember so many moments of wrestle and spiritual attack, right? But why? Because God had set this new path that was a hard path, a, a hard choice in front of me. And man, when God calls you to do something to make a, a decision to step out in a new path, guess what? Satan comes right in to resist that because Satan understands just as much as God the gravity of what it means to step out and to really follow God in our lives. So like I remember though the moment where it kind of came to a head. I was planning this. I was moving towards it. I didn't know how it was all going to work out. I never felt more scared or excited in my life. I remember driving home. My friends had come home from college for a weekend. I'd spent the weekend with them, and I was driving back a 40-minute drive to my house. And it was dark, and it was, there was a thunderstorm on the horizon. I lived in Indiana at the time, so you could see thunderstorms like far away. It was night. I could see the lightning. And I just felt also inside me this storm raging and the struggle to make this decision and I just remember talking to God and, God and saying just you know God what why are you doing this and why are you calling me to this and why is it so hard and and I just uh, I'm so scared I'm just I I this step is so such a such an unknown such a black hole for me like I feel like I'm just jumping off a cliff here like what's going on and what should I do and and like in the that moment I've just felt this like Jesus calming the storm for the apostles on when they were in the boat. Like I just felt this calm come in and God just say, this is what you asked for. You asked for greater faith. You asked for, you've been praying for faith. You've been praying f to know me more. And this is the opportunity. And this is what God said to me in that moment. He said, Jason, you don't have to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to like leave you if you don't. I'm not like, you know, this isn't, you don't have to do this. this it's your choice. But this is what you've asked for. But just know that like, I'm not going to leave you. But the, the difference between what I've set before you and just staying where you are is the difference between crawling in your spiritual journey and running. Like I've set before you a path that's running where it's going to change everything for you, but you don't have to take it. And I'm not going to leave you, but what, what you've prayed for is greater faith. And this is the opportunity to really step into the life I've called you to, like the, the better life, the greater journey. And in that moment, like I, I felt this, uh, I had this sense that God was saying, here's a ship. And it's going to leave the shore of which everything you know. And you're going to journey out into the ocean of the unknown. And it's scary. And you don't know where you're headed. But that boat, it's an ark. It's me. I'm going to take you. But you're going to have to let go of a lot of things. You're going to have to let go of certainty and comfortability and the known and what's safe and what's in your control. And this is faith. And it's going to lead you on this adventure. But the scary thing is you just don't know where it's going to go. But do you trust me? You know, I think there's a reason in ancient times in the ancient world that the, the earth was pictured as being flat and there was this like edge of the world drop-off point. Because people just didn't know what was beyond the horizon when they looked out at the ocean. 
Like there was so there was there was unknown lands, there was unknown places, unknown territories, and so they imagined if you sailed too far away from the familiar, you would just plunge off the earth into this abyss of nothingness, right? Like I think I kind of get that because that's how I felt in that moment, in this journey, that God set me on, that God offered me. I felt like. If I've journeyed away from the safety of the shores of everything I had known and what was comfortable, I might just fall off <laughs> the edge of the world. And I didn't know what would be there. But you know what? It kind of happened. And I did fall off. But you know what was there? A new land. And new things and new adventures. And guess what? Uh, what do they call it? Um, spoiler alert. There you go. Spoiler alert. I did it. I went, to, I went back to school. That, um, I guess that was the fall semester. Yes, the fall semester. I went back to I went to school with my friends. I found a major. I found, you know, student aid. I got the funding I needed. I went back to school. I ended up at that college. I ended up getting my bachelor's in humanities. I ended up meeting my future wife and getting married before I graduated. And I ended up getting my master's in humanities. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> right? Well, you know, kind of. I embarked on this new journey. And like, I, in the middle, in the journey itself, I, I didn't quite understand until a long time later that that one decision to take that different path that God set before me really changed everything for me. It's why I'm doing the things I'm doing now. And, you know, I already knew what was in my heart. I knew that I had this passion to know God and passion to, to try and teach people how to know God. But, like, I hadn't really taken a very big steps in that journey myself. And this was a, the first big step that led to a lot of other big steps. Which has led me to where I am now. And where I am now is coming to understand everything about how I see God and Jesus and the gospel salvation, heaven, hell, in a very different way than I used to. And the, and the Bible, the college I went to was a Bible college. You know, it was a traditional evangelical restoration movement, Stone Campbell Church Bible College, right? But it was the beginning of my journey to see the Bible, God, everything very differently. And also to understand that my life and my life with God are the same thing. You know, I think sometimes we compartmentalize life so much. There's our work life. There's our home life. There's our family life. There's our church life. There's our religious life. There's our secular life. There's our, and there's our um, pastimes and our hobbies and our interests and our entertainment. And there's our preferences. And like we just divide our lives into so many different things. And we divide our religious life too in some ways up. And we think of it in terms too small. And so I think we also kind of imagine that what God wants from us is just something small, something little. You know, what God has for us is, is uh, an afterlife of bliss. And we just got to do this little thing one, one time, this salvation transaction to get the afterlife bliss and then we mostly just kind of live our own lives. We go on living our life as 
we did before, and we kind of do just live our life on our own terms. We kind of get, get the thing that God has to give us, right? This salvation ticket, and then we move on. And, you know, of course, then God becomes this new addition in our lives, this new means to the same ends that we were pursuing before God. The good career, the good family, the good relationships, the good friendships, you know, the fun, and all those things aren't good or bad, but we kind of don't really change much when it comes to our relationship with God other than the heaven ticket. Not much changes, right? So we kind of separate what God has and what God wants and who God is from most of our life. It's a separate thing. But I'm here to tell you that God, what God has for you is everything. And has everything to do with everything. And has everything to do with love. So sometimes I think we've imagined that what God has and does is limited. It's limited to the afterlife and it's limited to a salvation ticket we have to get. We think the gospel message is we're sinners in need of a savior. We got to get, we, we have the sin that keeps us from God and we have to get the thing that resolves it. Which isn't, isn't wrong, but it's also not right because it doesn't understand life, even life with God in terms of everything, in terms of all life. I think sometimes we make it we make the gospel much more complicated and fractured than it is. And also, it, you know, and when it is actually more simple, it's just about living life with God and living life with God now. We often imagine most of what God has for us is later. Heaven is later and hell is later. But I believe it's all now. Everything about God has everything to do with everything about us right now. And part of that is the fact that I am a universalist. I do believe everybody gets to heaven eventually. And so I think what I want to challenge you in today isn't, is everything. <laughs> no, I want to challenge you to think about how you think about your salvation in heaven and God. You know, is it this very limited action that gets us this kind of limited reward at the end of life? Or is it, does it have everything to do with everything here and now? So, like, this is the question I want to ask you. What if, what if the gospel wasn't about sinners in need of a savior? What if it was about the love that God has, the love that God wants to show us now? The love of God that we can know and show now. <laughs> what, if, what if everybody gets saved? What if everybody gets to heaven in the end and the message isn't about how we need to do something to get to heaven later, but what if the message is what we need to do to get to heaven now and get out of hell now? Like, how would that change not only how you see the message of Jesus and Christianity, but how you live it? I think... I really think that the way we've been taught to think about God, heaven, hell, Jesus, sin, and the gospel has really crippled the true beauty and power of the transformation that Jesus came to give us now. And that transformation is defined in terms of heaven and hell because 
Hell is the reality of God's absence in our lives. And heaven is the reality of God's presence in our lives. But like, it's just crazy. Like, what if those things are in play right now? And what if heaven is available to us right now? And what if we're waiting for something? What if we're waiting to get something at the end of our lives that we could have right now? What if... What if that's the point? What if that's the big thing we're missing? What if how we've imagined the salvation of Jesus as this limited one-time transaction, when in fact it's a present, right now reality of transformation? <clears throat> and like, what if we could shift our view from getting people saved so they don't end up in hell when they die to helping people come to know God more and lean and live into the life of God right now? Like, what if the pressure was off to get people saved, to quote, get people saved, and the real focus was walking with people to help them come to know how to walk with God and live in the presence of God as we are coming to know that? I think, I think when we imagine this dire consequence of hell at the end of life and we imagine that we've got to get the salvation transaction in order to not end up in the bad place and, and so we do end up in the good place when we imagine it that way there's a lot of pressure right and this is this is serious stuff right there's this bad place you could go if you don't do something right if you don't make this one-time decision if you don't accept jesus as your lord and savior like you could this this that's the, those those are dire consequences, and that paradigm creates this desperation, right? But it also creates a God who I think isn't that good and doesn't really doesn't really work to really save anyone. I know that sounds strange, but let me first just say that I think Scripture is clear that God does save everyone. And I think sometimes we've misunderstood when Jesus talks about heaven and hell. He's not talking about what happens after we die. He's talking about how he's talking. He's using metaphors and stories to explain life right now. And it also does reflect on what it's like to live with God after we die, of course, because when we die, we get to be with God. And so that's like the culmination of heaven. But I don't believe anybody ends up separated from God when they die. And I think Scripture is clear. Now, when you take all the passages about heaven and hell and you make those about a place you go when you die, of course, you can see it in the terms that most understand it today, which is that you've got to make a decision for Jesus now or you'll end up in the bad place when you die. But I don't think that is the right understanding. And actually, Scripture backs that up. So let me read from Colossians Chapter 1, starting, <laughs> let me see, where I want. I'm not sure where I want to start, so let me figure this out. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'll just go right to it. Um, first Colossians 1, 15, starting with verse 15. Uh, this is... Paul writing to the church in Colossae and he's talking about Christ and God and talking about kind of this overarching I would say he's talking about the overarching character of God and Christ and their overarching 
purpose and mission. So, First Colossians chapter, or, or, yeah, Colossians chapter one verse fifteen. Christ is the is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him, him being Jesus. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. That's a present tense active statement. Jesus holds all creation together. Okay, so keep that in mind. Verse 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself he made he being god he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of christ's blood on the cross this includes you who were once far away from god you were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of christ in his physical body as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Man, does that turn a lot of how you think about heaven, hell, God on its head? I mean, the first thing to note, I think, important is that, verse 20, it says, through him, being Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That's interesting. Everything. He says everything. And, and in, case you, in case it wasn't clear, he said everything in heaven and on earth. Like, you can think of it like there's the spiritual realm and there's the physical realm. There's earth and heaven. And just so, so it's clear when he says when it, when it says that God made peace with everything, he's like, that's everything. Everything in heaven, everything on earth, everything in the sky, everything in the ocean, everything in the world, everything in the cosmos, everything in, in, that's close and far, and everything. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. Now, that's interesting. So I think the first thing we can say is that from God's side of things, there is no barrier there is nothing that stands between us and God in God's heart and on God's terms, right? But then he goes on and says, this includes you who were once far away from God. Now, this is interesting because here we know God has already said, like, I am completely at peace with everybody now through Christ, through what Christ has done. But then he says, you were once far, you were far away from God. God was not far away from you. You were far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Like there was this, there was something in you that, that was bad and it led to something, doing things outside or, you know, doing things outside of you that were bad. But it says, now he has reconciled you to himself through Christ in his physical body. 
And as a result, this is another thing, as a result, God brought you into his presence. This is present tense. Paul's writing to first century Christians, and he's saying, first of all, God has already reconciled everything to himself. Like, everything is good on God's side. But that doesn't mean we're not far from God, or we're not enemies of God, right? But when we accept Christ, we are brought into the presence of God in that moment, right? That's interesting. It's not a, we don't wait to get to the presence of God. That's part of the point. And the other point is our separation is on our side, not God's. But I think that's important that we could say, in a sense, in, God, in God's terms, there's nothing against us. God's not going to hold anything against us. He's already, through Christ, reconciled everything to himself. Like, reconciled, think about this in terms of accounting. When you reckon, my wife does this with our bank account. She has to reconcile our, our bank account every once in a while, which means she has to go through line by line and make sure that the, the end balance e equals the beginning balance and everything in between. Like to reconcile accounts means everything lines up and everything's good. There's nothing owed. There's nothing. There's no negatives or positives that are out of keeping with the actual reality of the state of our account. And so this is true with God. In, in God's terms, we don't owe anything. Do you, you hear what I'm saying? In God's terms, we're good. In God's terms... We're in good standing. But the reality is, in our experience, we're not. God's already set things right for us, but we haven't necessarily entered into that state of being right with God. So in our experience, we still feel the separation, and we still are separated until we begin to go through the process which Jesus sets before us. His life, becoming a disciple, putting to death our sins and the sin of separation, which is the only true sin which leads to the individual sins. Like as we start to deal with our separation from God through Christ, through kind of stepping more fully into the life of Christ through the Holy Spirit, we begin to walk in a new way, step out and grow into a connectedness with God. And that begins to resolve the reality that we were once far off and enemies of God. And again, just because we're living in a certain way against the character and nature of God doesn't mean God is against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Even if we're against God, even if man is unfaithful, God is still faithful. That's what Scripture says. Because it's in God's character to love. Because God is love. And so God loves regardless of what we do. And so God opens his arms to us no matter what. But on our end, if we don't open our arms to God, we don't really experience God, we don't experience life near God. And so we're, for all intents and purposes, we're separate, separated from God. But that doesn't change the fact that God has already accepted us and has open arms. So we can imagine, like we have this imagination, or we have this imagined force in, in Christ, the Christian religion, that when we die, we stand before God, 
And God weighs our good and bad actions like the sheep and the goats. And if we did enough good, we get in. If we didn't do enough good, we, or if we didn't accept Jesus. <clears throat> but really, I think the reality is Jesus and God has already accepted us. In fact, um, it must be a, a different verse, but that there's a, it's the, it's in Romans where he says, there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. But I think the reality is that in Christ, there is no condemnation for sin now because of what Christ has done. So stay with me here. Imagine in that end scenario, we stand before God and God's like, we're waiting for God to decide whether we go to heaven or hell, right? That's, the, that's, the, that's how it's been imagined for us. But imagine that God's already decided we go to heaven. Like when you come before God, God said, I, in, 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 yep, he's in, yep, she's in, yep. Wait a minute, God, that person, they weren't so good. It doesn't matter, I already decided. I already decided long ago, everybody's in. But they didn't live. Yeah, I know they didn't live in their life. For me, didn't even know me, lived against me. They were enemies. But that just had to do with the, the reality of their existence in this life. But in the next life, I've already decided to accept everybody because I've already reconciled everybody to me through Christ on the cross. Everybody gets in. Not everybody gets in now in this life. Not everybody gets into the experience of living in God's presence now. Only those who accept Jesus now and begin to walk into union with God now experience heaven now. Everybody else lives in hell now. But at the end, we already know God has already decided everybody gets in. That's exactly what Colossians says. Sounds crazy. I know because when you read about heaven and hell, if you read about it in terms of something that happens after we die, you read it wrong. And you understand life and death wrong. Life and death are here and now. Life and death just have to do with how we're living in proximity or distance from God. Are we near or far away from God? <clears throat> are we growing in union with God or not? That's heaven and hell. It's now. It's happening now. It's, it's our experience now. And look at the world. I mean, the world is full of hell. We're full of hell. We're full of the consequences of living separate from God, living in our own reality. I read this quote. Um, I thought this was kind of cute. This is just a little tiny quote. I think it's an imagined conversation, but I'll just read it. Was it hard, I asked? Letting go? Yes, I nodded. Not as hard as holding on to something that wasn't real. <laughs> Let me read that again. Now, this is just an imagined conversation for poetic, uh, for poetic effect. Was it hard? I asked. You mean letting go? Yeah. Yes, I nodded. Not as hard as holding on to something that wasn't real. When we live in separation from God, we're holding on to something that isn't real, that isn't good, that isn't life. We're living in death. We're holding on to death. We're trying to make our own way, live our own life in separation from God and God's heart and God's character and God's being and God's purpose and God's goodness and God's truth. And you can do that whether you've completed the salvation transaction or not. And the evidence is a church that isn't, that isn't much more loving than the world because the church isn't truly living in heaven. The church can sometimes be just as much in a state of separation from God as 
people outside the church. And so the church can be just a separate kind of hell. Because hell has to do with how we live our life in proximity or separation from God. Hell and heaven. Oh, um, I did read this quote. Yeah, I actually read this quote in the last podcast, but I think I'll read it again. Let me see if I can find it. Here it is. This is Teresa of Avila. It is foolish to think that we will enter heaven without entering into ourselves. Like she's saying, if you think you're going to get to heaven at the end of this life, but you haven't actually started to experience heaven in your life right now, which has to do with your interior life and God's presence in you because you're the temple of God, that's just foolish. Like, you think you're going to live as a son of hell, as a daughter of hell your whole life, and then at the end, magically you'll get into heaven? Like, she's not saying we won't get into heaven at the end of life. She's just saying it's kind of stupid to, like, talk about heaven, talk about the goodness of heaven, but live in hell right now. Like, let's start living and read the reality of heaven now, because that's what heaven is. Everybody gets in at the end. Eventually, God makes it all work out. But for now, why don't we enter into heaven now? I know that's crazy, right? You just like that's a crazy idea. But man, let me let me tell you like we're all in some ways living in the safe, familiar country of our comfortable Christianity, our inclusive and our in-group of Christians who have who all agree apparently, but we're so divided apparently we don't agree, but we have this imaginary land called Christendom. And we've all got our heaven ticket, but we're all really just in many ways living just like the rest of the world. But maybe we need to imagine that there's this land called life with God, but it requires us to leave the shores of the safe and comfortable truth that we've come to accept as Christianity and as the gospel. And we need to venture out and start to walk with God. And God has a journey for us. And it's scary. And it brings us into real conflict with, with the kingdom of Satan. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. If your land of Christianity isn't bringing you into conflict with Satan, uh, dang, mm, maybe you're not really living in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is in dire and direct conflict with the kingdom of Satan. Satan is coming against the kingdom of God day after day. And if you're not experiencing any kind of conflict between God's kingdom and Satan's in your life, maybe you're not really a threat to the kingdom of Satan because maybe you're not really living in the kingdom of God. And like, this is the, I think this is also the part of the false paradigm of the Christian country that we've imagined is we think our fight is against non-Christians. It's those evil non-Christians and we're coming against them. Oh, you mean the, like in the verse we just read how we were once far off In Colossians, it says, This includes you who were once far away from God, enemies separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. That was verse 21. Yet He reconciled you to Himself through Christ. Wait a minute. God's not against sinners and calling... He's not out calling people sinners and He's not not in, in conflict with evil people. He's not fighting against evil people. We're not supposed to fight against evil people. Yeah, that's exactly... Our fight... In Ephesians, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the kingdom of darkness and the heavenly realms. 
If you're fighting with people and against people because they're not Christians, you're actually fighting against the people you're supposed to be fighting for, and you're not fighting against the true enemy. (laughs) Who, while it may be that they are more under the enemy's control and serving the enemy's kingdom, if we're not experiencing conflict from the enemy, maybe we're also serving the enemy's kingdom more than God's because maybe we haven't entered into God's kingdom that much at all. And maybe our Christianity is actually a foreign land that we need to set sail away from into the unknown territory on a journey that's scary, that may cause us to fall off the edge of our world and enter into life with God. <laughs> I don't know if, it, if it's ever occurred to you, but if you're living the same life that non-Christians are living and kind of acting the same way, just as argumentative and hateful and spiteful and negative and just about the same things and getting the same things and getting the nice house and getting all the nice stuff, then like, and you just think you're just going to like, you got this ticket and you're going to end up in heaven and they're going to end up in hell, but you're really just the same kind of person except for this magic ticket. I don't know if, what's, what's really different. How are you really belonging to God in any way? Where is heaven if it's not in you, if it's not God in you right now, right here? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is now. It's coming and it will come fully. Jesus didn't really preach about sin and salvation as the means and end goal, as the point, he talked about the kingdom of God. And he said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like there is this kind of separateness of God, which the word holy means separate, but it is only a separateness in, in, in terms of God's character and God's presence because we are able to live in absence of God's presence. And so we are also able to kind of breathe that out into the world and to create a world that also has a kind of absence of God. But even in Colossians, it says that um, everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. In fact, uh, also Paul writes, in him we move and breathe and have our being, like the life of God is the life in all things that holds all things together moment to moment. And so like God is everywhere. God is full in all creation. So how is God absent? He's absent in our hearts and lives. The only space that God could be absent in us. We are the temple of God, but we can be a temple devoid of God, devoid of God's presence. Remember when the first temple was first consecrated by Solomon, it said the Shekinah glory filled the temple like a cloud and the priests couldn't see and they actually had to kind of like rush out because it was so blinding. That's a metaphor. Like how full are you of God's presence in you now? And what is the essence of God's presence? It's love. It's love for everyone. God loves everyone. God has already decided out of love to receive everyone. The, the only thing that hangs in the balance is whether we receive God. And God is available to be received now. Hmm. Sound crazy? 
I think it would have to me back when I was in my late 20s heading to Bible college. But God has taken me on a journey of bringing me to himself, teaching me himself about the truth of who he is and how available he is to me right now and how heaven and hell are realities right now and how the end result will be the reality that God already lives in which is that God is for everybody and God accepts everybody through Christ God has already reconciled the entire universe to himself the only difference is for now we can live in opposition to it or we can choose to start stepping into union with God and living in concert with God and his kingdom now in the end it's all decided but man I just I just think just imagine how different your Christianity would be if the pressure wasn't to get people saved so they didn't end up in hell after they die but actually to get to help people know God now so they can get out of the hell that they're living in now I mean, just that's a different kind of Christianity hey you know what I'm not desperate to make sure that you complete the transaction. But I'm really excited to help you see and learn how God can transform your life right now and bring you into greater purpose and actually teach you who you truly are and what you were truly called to do and be. Inviting you into life now. It's not separate from our lives now. It is our life now. God is life. The absence of God is death. That is hell. But heaven is available now as we step into life. Now, as we don't, as we begin to bring these two things together into one, life in God, heaven, and our current life now, as we, as we don't compartmentalize and think of those things separately, but as we begin to understand life with God is life with God. It's available now. We step into it now, and it is our life, and it's what we should be pursuing with our lives because it is the goodness of life and it will also reveal everything about your life right now and the next and the next and the next steps and it'll lead you on this journey of becoming who you're meant to be and doing what you're meant to do in this world so that this world can become more like heaven for you and others uh, I, I had let's see <laughs> I just, I accidentally just paused the recording. I thought I lost it. Um, uh, mm, that's all right. Here I am. Still here. Okay, I think I'll just go here. This is pretty cool. So, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the love chapter. But I want you to listen to this too, okay? So, I've already kind of talked about, I've tried to talk about how it's everything, about everything, God, heaven, hell. It's everything about everything. It's everything now. And it's everything and later. Like, God redeems everything. But now we need to step into that everything and start to see it become a reality for us and others. It's everything about everything. But now, what about love? It's everything in love. So, this is interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. This is Paul. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The key word here is, I have nothing, I am nothing without love. Because love is not only central to the gospel message, it's everything about everything. Love. So, I mean, just look at some of the things. If I speak in tongues, like if I have all these spiritual gifts, amazing talents, amazing abilities, but there's not love in it, it's just like noise. It's just empty noise. Gongs and cymbals, clanging. If I have the gift of prophecy, I can see the future. I can know the heart of God. I can fathom all mysteries. and all. If you had all Christian truth, all truth, like, isn't, wouldn't that be amazing? Well, if you don't have love, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything if you don't know love because really the heart of God's wisdom and truth is love. It's not separate from love. It's not separated. It's everything. Everything is everything. If you do all these great acts, give to the poor and give your body to hardship and like if you sacrifice yourself, you know, Jesus said, the greater love has no man than this that he lays down, life down for his friends. But Paul's saying if you do that without love, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. The point in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that Paul's making is love is everything. Love defines everything. Love defines spiritual gifts. Love is the purpose and the point of the spiritual gifts. Love is the purpose and point of prophecy and knowledge and mystery and the point of any good action and works. It's all centered in love. If we don't have love, we don't get it. Love is it. The reason God gives gifts, the reason God gives wisdom, the reason God gives us good works is so that we can know how much God loves us and others can know how much God loves them through us. And of course he goes, for starting with verse 4, we know this. He just goes to try and describe love. And one of the things he says about love is it doesn't keep any record of wrongs, <laughs> which I love. It's not self-seeking, right? It's not proud, it's not boastful, it's patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, rejoices, it doesn't like evil, but it loves truth, it always protects, loves, hopes, trusts, perseveres. And it's just like, when you look at love, and you understand Paul's talking about God and the character of God, then I think you can truly understand that God will never shut anybody out. God's love, the character of God's love, will not allow God to relinquish any soul to separation. But, for now, even though God holds us and God's attitude towards us is full embracing love and restoration, if our hearts towards God is not a full embracing restoration of the relationship, we can live in separation from God in a kind of hell, which exactly is to find the separation from God. It's our choice now. Man, I'm glad that God doesn't honor that choice forever. For now, we can choose to live in heaven or hell, but forever, everybody gets in eventually. That's good news. That's the good news. The good news is the pressure's off. The good news is Jesus has already reconciled everything back to God. 
All creation, too. That's cool. God, Jesus doesn't abandon the world or teach us to abandon the world or abandon any person. Our true fight is not against flesh and blood. That's good news. Man, the pressure's off. But guess what? The excitement is on because we have life. We have life that we can experience in God now. And we have life that we can encourage others to experience in God now. That's the message. That's the beauty of the message. It's not sinners in need of a Savior. It's broken people in need of healing. And God himself is that healing presence. That's what heaven is. Hell is the absence of God's presence in us. The message is, yes, the message is get out of hell and get into heaven. Yes, of course, yes. It's just we've gotten, we've gotten the whole time frame wrong and the whole, we've got the whole structure wrong. It's not about a later heaven and hell that some, only some, that, that some, and some go to one place and some go to the other. It's about heaven and hell now. And are you experiencing heaven now? And, I mean, have you been told the gospel that actually keeps you from experiencing heaven now because you think it's later? It's not later. It's now. But that's the thing. If, if we're not experiencing heaven now and we're the, God's people, how are we going to help other people experience it now? It's not sinners in need of a Savior. It's broken people in need of healing. And why would God wait to heal us? Can God heal us now? Yeah. Can we know God now? Can we live in God's presence now? Can we grow in God's presence now? Can we be in relationship with God in a way that really, really we come to dwell intimately with God now? Yeah. It's not just the theory. For me, I know. I know. Like, I'm here now because when I was in my late 20s, I heard God speak to me specifically. Go here. Do this. Step out. Follow me. Take up your cross. Put to death your self-willed life. Step into heaven. Step out of hell. And I did. And there's been a thousand times, a thousand steps after that, which led me six years ago to a breakdown, which led me to reorient my life even more towards God and surrender even more towards God and realize how much I was living life in, in my own terms, on my own terms, apart from God, which just has even increased even more my ability to hear God, follow God, know God, and step into heaven now. That's why I'm talking to you now. Because I believed God was here now, heaven was here, is here now, and I believe that hell is here now, and I could step, begin to step out of that hell, which is separation, and into communion and connection with God. Communion isn't just some juice and a cracker that we take symbolically every Sunday to honor some event that happened 2,000 years ago that got us our heaven ticket. Communion is the bread and the wine are symbolic of the fact that we can partake of God's life-giving presence now. And it can begin to be abundant life like a wellspring inside us, springing up 
to life. So that's what Jesus said. He said, I and the Father are one. I pray that you may be one, like we are one. Jesus invites us into the oneness he had with the Father. Now, not later. If your Christianity is mostly about later and right now you're just living like everybody else, I think you've missed it. I think, and I think we have missed it. I think we're preaching, I wouldn't say a wrong gospel, but an incomplete gospel, which puts mostly everything at the end after this life and doesn't give us very much of God right now. If there's anything that is participating in the kingdom of Satan, it is believing that we can't have God now, and so living in separation from God now, no matter what comes after, which is exactly what fuels the kingdom of Satan. Satan is not afraid of people who call themselves God's people but don't actually live in the power and presence of God now. Part of my breakdown six years ago was God actually open, opening me up even more to the spiritual reality of these two kingdoms that are, are in conflict here and now, in which both, in which, of which, and in which both are very active. I can tell you plainly, Satan is running around everywhere down here trying to keep people separate from God, Christians and non-Christians. And God is, is everywhere, open fully to every person, embracing, loving, walking with every person. But are we stepping into it? That's the question. That's the gospel message. Just step into it. If baptism of the Holy Spirit represents anything, it's not that we didn't have God and now we do, but it's that we need to have a more full opening to God. It's an epiphany point. It's not that God needs to come more fully to us. It's that we need to open more fully to God who is already fully open to us. And that's what Colossians says. God's already done everything on his end. It's already done. We're going to be with God in the end, but, but will we be with God now? That's the real question. Don't think that God's love holds back and causes God to hold himself back from us in any way at any time. In every moment, God is fully open to each of us. Uh, I'm trying to think who said this, but uh, I'm going to forget the name. But there, it was just a, it, the quote is, if God gave all of himself to us all right now, it'd kill us. So God only gives that of himself to us which we can handle which we're ready for right now so like the truth is it's not the 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 disconnect isn't on god's end it's on our end like we have to grow into a more full presence of god and it's slow like and it can be scary it can be scary to leave the land and the shoreline of what what's familiar to us and to venture into new truth and new understanding with god I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no coincidence that people experiencing even the presence of angels fell on their faces and were deathly afraid. Sometimes experiencing the powerful presence of God is not just birds chirping and bliss and all rosy feelings. Sometimes it knocks us on our faces because, yes, we have brokenness 
And we're not that holy and God is, but it is good because it draws us deeper into the healing process that changes us and makes us more like God. And it's, it's all now. Everything is available now and everything is love. Everything's about love and the love that God has for us here and now. How God, how God wants to love us back to life. I've been on a journey with God. That journey wasn't to change how I saw Christianity, salvation, heaven, hell. The journey was just to know God more. But out of that journey of coming to know God more, through reading my Bible, prayer, studying, reading Christian books, studying Christian history, that journey has taken me to come to understand the breadth, the depth, the goodness and the expansiveness of God's salvation through Christ. It's so much bigger. It's big enough to fill every nook and cranny of all creation and to redeem everything and everyone. And that's what Colossians says. The fact that it's not yet fully here is the reality of our separation from God now but it's not going to be that way at the end. But even now, we can start to experience the reversal of that separation. That's the gospel story. That's the gospel message. Jesus invites us into a more full opening to God who is already fully opened to us. My question to you, my challenge to you is, are you ready and willing to step out into the great and scary adventure that God has for you? Are you ready for that Kairos moment, that epiphany, that fearful, terrible and wonderful call of God on your life to step out of the familiar and into the unknown? That's up to you. It's there for you. God is here for you. God's calling you into deeper things, deeper into himself. It's up to you if you take the journey or not. I just think if we understand that that's the whole, that's everything, and everything is love, then we're not about trying to get people their ticket to heaven as some later place we go after we die, but we're trying to help people know the life and the goodness of God right now as we are also stepping into the goodness of that life right now as well. All right, guys. Thanks for paying attention. I appreciate you listening and joining me. I hope it's encouraging. I hope it challenges you, too. You don't have to agree with me. It's okay. I mean, obviously, no two people agree on any on everything. <laughs> but I just hope it makes you think, right? Just think. Just give it some thought. Ask God. That's all I've done. Take it to God. Ask God to show you. And then keep asking. Keep walking. All right, love you guys. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. You can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com or you can Google Jay Randall Ori. And you'll also get my YouTube channel and the videos that I'm doing. And soon, I'll have two books out for you guys. All right, love you. Bye. <laughs>